wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. Well, five weeks into the 2019 NFL season, only two unbeaten teams remain. One, your New England Patriots, Hal Ben. That's not quite a surprise, but who would have thunk it back in August that the San Francisco 49ers would be 4-0 headed into week six? I didn't thunk it. If I was going to thunk someone from that division, it would have been the Rams, David. So what a turnaround with this team, with uh, the Shanahans are making it happen again in the NFL. Oh, they most certainly are, and as amazing as that running game is, and we'll talk about that in a bit, that 49ers defense, especially that front seven, they're no joke, aren't they, as Nick Bosa showed us all on Monday night. That is a defensive front that they've been building and making a point of emphasis these past few years, and it's starting to pay off here in 2019, and and that was quite a statement they made um, for sure. Yes, and we're going to talk about the San Francisco 49ers defense and their matchup with the Rams and another big opportunity to make a statement in just a little bit. But let's start with our takeaways from Week 5, and I will go first. The NFL actually may not be the passing league many think it is. Per Rick Gosselin of the Dallas Morning News, and Rick is one of the best football sages around, folks. Uh, In Week 5, there were nine 300-yard passers and nine 100-yard rushers. The combined record of those passers last week, 4-5. and five. The combined record of those runners, 8-1. and one. Yes, I understand, passing is still king in the modern NFL, but running the ball is no less essential than it was in 1991. Just ask the 49ers, Colts, and Raiders, and even Packers, who are off to excellent starts in large part due to their ground games. That's a great point there, David, indeed. And and you can add in the Buffalo Bills as well with the ageless Frank Gore and running quarterback Josh Allen, who are surprising 4-1 and and putting up a fight in the AFC East behind a strong defense and a running game like it was 1988 all over again. Oh, you said it, Hal. Uh, And for all of those who say that uh, this is a passing league, It may be, but not as quite as you thought it was. Running the ball is still important, and there are still plenty of teams that are going with that so-called 90s formula of running the ball and playing some great defense. And, Hal, what was your main takeaway from Week 5? My main takeaway was the product itself. I counted 10 games between uh, starting on Thursday night, Sunday, and that, well, throw out Monday night, that wasn't in the competitive, but 10 games where we had teams within one score in the fourth quarter. Uh, even the Houston Atlanta game that ended up a blowout was close at the beginning of the fourth quarter as Atlanta cut it to one score. So after all of these blowouts that we've seen early in the season, uncom- non competitive games, and some people are going to say, hey, you know, the Jets and Dolphins had the bye week. That might be part of it as well. We weren't subjected to that. But uh, just to be polite, let's just say it was a very, very compelling and competitive weekend. And this is what gets people excited about the NFL is seeing these games where it's anybody's ball game there in the second half. And that's part of what made that week so exciting to me to see uh, that excitement there last week and so many great games to absorb and watch there. 
That is a great point, my friend. Last week showed us that parity reigned supreme in the NFL. It still does, even with the Patriots, still uh, one step ahead of the rest of the league as it still seems. And now let's play our favorite game, truth or exaggeration. You know how this game goes. And we start with the Raiders, uh, who are about to move to Las Vegas next year. But the Raiders, in their final season in Oakland in 2019, they will finish this season with a better record than the Chargers. Truth or exaggeration? You know, I, <laughs> two weeks ago I would have said an exaggeration, but, boy, the Chargers are doing Charger things, and now Mike Pouncey's going on, injured reserve as well, a big hit to that offensive line. I'm going to have to lean towards the truth. I think, you know, John Gruden has got this team uh, playing hard for him. They've rallied around, you know, the loss of the – Locker room, uh, undesirables is a nice way to put Antonio Brown and Vontez Burfitt, these distractions that were there that are now out of the picture for the Raiders. And I think that's uh, something that they can rally around as a team. And we're seeing that on the field. They've, uh, they've taken a big step forward this season, and there's a lot of winnable games still uh, coming up for them when they come out of their bye week next week. It'll be very interesting to see how far the Raiders go this season. They are playing some fantastic football behind Josh Jacobs and that running game, uh, staying ahead of schedule in the down, making life infinitely easier on Derek Carr and keeping that defense fresh and rested and not having to be on the field for too often. So the Raiders, they have a formula. It worked against the Broncos week one, and it worked against the Bears in London last week, and it worked against the Colts. So we shall see how far that formula carries them this season. And speaking of Vontaze Perfect, it was just reported that Vontaze Perfect's season-long suspension was upheld um, uh, in the appeal hearing uh, he had uh, yesterday. But I don't think that's enough. Vontaze Perfect should never play another down in the NFL. Truth or exaggeration? Uh, I'm going to go with the truth there. I mean, talk about piling up you know, misdemeanor after misdemeanor on the field here. Uh, eventually, you've got to draw the line here. And this is where, you know, in the real world, you know, there should be the three strikes in your out policy there. And Vontez Perfect is on to, I don't know, what is this, chance number 15 for him? Uh, you know, eventually you get to the point where you say, enough is enough and we've seen enough is enough out of this player shame on any team that brings him back i personally agree a line has got to be drawn vontez perfect is the epitome of a dirty player and if you really care about player safety do not allow somebody who uh, uh, repeatedly endangers the safety of his fellow players back into the national football league we go to the Browns and the Jets now, where Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, I don't think we're paired with ideal head coaches to further their development. Freddie Kitchens and Adam Gase are more likely than not to be one-and-done head coaches, barring dramatic improvement from their teams this season. Truth or exaggeration? I think that has to be a truth. Um, you know, I said in the offseason, I don't know what games the Jets management team was watching out of Miami because I didn't see anything out of Adam Gase that made sense to bring him and hand him the keys to a shiny new Sam Darnold uh, and Cleveland as well. This is something we had talked about uh, back in the preseason, David, where coaching is so important and bringing in somebody who 
you know, 365 days ago was your running back coach because the quarterback is a fan of the player. I don't quite understand that maneuver. You've got to do what's best for the entire team, not for one player. And with the expectations on those franchises this year and any regression like we've seen uh, out of Baker Mayfield in that Monday night game and Miami, I mean, you just look at some of these teams. Here's Pittsburgh, a team with a third-string quarterback, and they're it. they've been fighting hard and in every game behind Mike Tomlin. And the on the opposite side, you're looking at New York, and it's just excuse after excuse out of Adam Gase, and that's going to wear real thin real quick. So I would say a truth. They're both candidates for a one-and-done. You mentioned uh, the game on Thursday night between the Seahawks and the Rams. That was a beautiful display of brilliance by Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson is now tied with, or even ahead, of Patrick Mahomes in the race for 2019 NFL MVP. Truth or exaggeration? I think he, that performance alone, I think, edged him out, uh, just nudged him ahead of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I... A week ago, it seemed inconceivable, but then that Colts defense and another otherworldly performance out of Russell Wilson, I'm going to go with the truth there as well. He has um, nudged ahead by a nose. Yeah, hard not to, and especially how could he remain this efficient? by throwing the ball less than 30 times a game. It's just crazy how he's able to maintain this level of efficiency. It is, and and you look at, you know, the turnover that he's had at the wide receiver position, at the tight end position, the the weapons that he had, what, three years ago have completely turned over. It's like a new cast of characters for him every year. There's someone in, there's someone out, and it seems not to affect him in the least. He just goes about his business and does everything that has to be done on the field in order to win. Absolutely. And like Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson elevates the play of those around him. He is a truck that carries the offense and not the other way around. Russell Wilson, easily the best quarterback in football, not named Patrick Mahomes right now, in my opinion. And I agree with you. Russell Wilson is the candidate for MVP five weeks in. He's in the lead for that race, I should say. And the AFC North is the worst division in the NFL right now. Truth or exaggeration? That is that is a tough call there. It, I'm, yeah, I'm. You know, I'm going to have to say that's the truth. I mean, the AFC South is a 500 division for the last two weeks. <laughs> it seems like, you know, that that division is the entire division at 500. I think the NFC North, top to bottom, is by far the strongest division. Um, in the in the NFL right now, and with Buffalo playing the way they are, you can't lump the lovable losers of the AFC East together behind New England and say that's the worst. I'm looking at a North with a, a Cincinnati Bengals team that can't get out of its own way, a free-falling Pittsburgh Steelers, um, Cleveland, which seems to be regressing, Baltimore that had that hot start, but you know, the, the jury's still out. That defense doesn't look like it did the last two seasons, and the offense is having some fits and starts there as well. So 
I'm going to have to say a truth to that on that, David. I think the AFC North is the the weakest link right now in the NFL among the divisions. Yes, yeah, so does it feel like uh, seven and I could win that division this year? Very easily, I think so. Um, you know, I I don't see you know anything over 500 except maybe for the Ravens can get to that point, but again, it's it's a lot to ask of them. You know, it's just strange to see, um, you know, a Baltimore team that's leaning on the offense to pick up the defense. And that seems like a, a house of cards that's going to fail eventually here. When you look at their schedule, they've got the go, go to Seattle before their bye week and then play the Patriots after that. And you've still got the 49ers and the bills and all those divisional games and the Rams and the Texans. It's, that's a tough road ahead for Baltimore. I very easily could see that at eight and eight or seven and nine taking that division. Yeah, plus the 49ers. Can't count them out of that schedule. They're still yet to play the Niners, and that'll be a tough game as well later uh, in the season. And the Dallas Cowboys, who have cooled off considerably after a hot start, they should fire Jason Garrett and hire Leakin Riley, who, according to friend of the pod, Benjamin Albright, Lincoln Riley has his eyes on the Cowboy head coaching position if it becomes available. If the Cowboys fail to reach the FC Championship game, fire Jason Garrett, bring in Lincoln Riley. Truth or exaggeration? I think there's a lot of Cowboys fans that are going to say truth, but boy, Lincoln Riley, I don't know, working for Jerry Jones takes uh, you know a certain personality type to be able to stay and thrive in that position. And you know, Jason Garrett has done yeoman's work as head coach in, you know, shrugging off those slings and arrows from Jerry Jones that come down from the owner's box and continue to have a team that's out there competing week after week. And, you know, tough losses to the Saints and, and Packers these last two weeks. Yeah, the Saints, the offense didn't show up. Um, Green Bay, that first half, they got stomped and got in a hole they couldn't get out of but they fought back and they were playing hard for their coach in the second half and with a game against the Jets and then a big matchup with Philadelphia I don't know changing the coach talk could be over in a hurry in Dallas if they can get this turned back around and they have a pretty good chance to do so as they play a one of the worst teams in football this week and we'll talk about that later and now let's talk about our game of the week the 49ers made a huge statement at home on Monday night, throttling the Cleveland Browns 31-3. They have a chance to make an even bigger statement this weekend as they travel to Southern California at the Coliseum in L.A. to take on the Rams in the divisional battle. The Rams, losers of two straight games. And when you look at how the Seahawks uh, came out on top of that game, they constantly stuck with the run, and Russell Wilson only threw the ball like 24 times or something like that. And yes, I understand uh, the Rams defense under Wade Phillips or any Wade Phillips defense has historically been vulnerable against the run, but that those corners, Akeem Tlaib and Marcus Peters, are absolutely struggling this year. So should the 49ers be willing to air it out more than the Seahawks did last week in order to win this game? I think they're going to have to. Um, you know, as much as it's, you know, easy to run the ball. I mean, you have to remember that that Rams defense, Michael Brockers, Aaron Donald, when they're locked in and uh, 
don't want anybody to run. They have the ability. They have the players up front in that front seven to be able to stop the run as well as just rush the quarterback there. And you mentioned as well having a, a veteran defensive coordinator like Wade Phillips in place is a huge, huge advantage for the Rams going in there. Uh, Wade Phillips certainly knows how to make uh, offenses, especially with younger quarterbacks who don't have a lot of experience in the NFL, very, very uncomfortable. He most certainly does, but uh, Aaron Donald, I think, is the key to this game uh, for the Rams because as great as Aaron Donald has been this year, he hasn't been as great or dominant as he's been the past couple of seasons. So, uh, yes, uh, he's still um, a bit himself, but he just hasn't had the impact on games that he usually does. He only has one sack this season, although that could be a very misleading stat. Uh, but does Aaron Donald, do you believe, need to have his best game of the 2019 season by far in order for the Rams to get back on track with the win on Sunday? Oh, definitely, David. I, I think that's, you know, a, a huge key for the Rams. And, you know, not just Aaron Donald as well, but, um, you know, you look at this Rams defense and you look at last season, the effect of Sue in the middle of that defense playing nose tackle next to Donald and how that freed him up to do so much more and letting him go in the offseason, obviously uh, salary cap concerns, uh, the age of Sue as well, wasn't quite going to fit there, but really didn't replace him in this defense. You've got Sebastian Joseph Day. You've got rookie Greg Gaines that are splitting time at the nose tackle position. And it's just not that same impact. And that's allowing teams to pay more attention to Aaron Donald here without um, that impact player there next to him. That, that's kind of, I think he's going to have, he's had to kind of readjust and get used to that again here in 2019. And, and this is a big matchup for him as well, because San Francisco, that, that great run blocking offensive line, it's, it's so strong um, on the edges, even without Joe Staley. And you've got Weston Richburg, that veteran center in the middle, making those calls, the blocking calls. That's going to be a tough matchup there. And it's going to be very interesting to see if he can make that big impact that he needs to do to spur that defense forward for the Rams. Totally. And speaking of uh, matchups in this game, uh, let's talk about the game deciding matchups. And one that I had in mind is Aaron Donald against uh, George Kittle in the run game. Because uh, what the Rams have been doing with Aaron Donald to free him up is that they've been playing him more on the edge as of late, and it's helped somewhat. But I see the 49ers countering that with George Kittle, and uh, I forget who their left tackle is now that Joe Staley is gone. I forgot his name, but he played very well against the Browns on Monday night. But using George Kittle and that left tackle to block Aaron Donald in the run game, I think that's going to be a huge matchup to look at. Oh, that is that uh, Justin Skewell you're thinking of there. Yeah, the Justin Skewell. Thank you, Al. Yep. Who played a fantastic game last week, exactly. And that's a huge matchup, definitely. I, I Kittle is, an, for all his wonderful receiving ability, is an underrated blocker for what he brings to that running game and his ability to block in the passing game as well. And that's another... Uh, matchup I'm looking at as well is is Kittle not just blocking um, to help out and slow down Donald, but 
the Rams, how are you going to stop um, Kittle, uh, who, you know, can do so much in that passing game, as, and that's putting that pressure on the, those Rams linebackers like Corey Littleton, who's going to have to step up and, and have a big game. And you saw in the Super Bowl last year with Rob Gronkowski, when they finally got him matched up one-on-one on a linebacker, that's how the Patriots put that game away. And if I'm San Francisco, I'm looking at those same matchups and saying, all right, who are you going to get on Kittle? Are you going to, you know, uh, bring John Johnson on him from the safety position? Is it Corey Littleton? You know, whatever way you're going to do that, San Francisco's looking at a huge mismatch there. Oh, absolutely, the passing game. But keep in mind, Kyle Juszczyk, their fullback, and arguably the best fullback in the NFL, uh, is out for this game at likely three to five more weeks after with an MCL sprain. But um, that means George Kittle is likely going to have to block even more than he has been, and he's been blocking plenty. That's a great point. And, you know, Juszczyk, there's no team that uses the fullback like San Francisco has used that fullback. Uh, passing game, blocking for those running backs in the running game, that's a huge loss uh, for any offense when you've got those running backs trained running behind that fullback. Um, and again, to use the New England example, uh, they you've seen that running game in New England has struggled as well, and a big part of that has been the loss of fullback James Devlin that's thrown that running game um into a bit of a quandary there. So for San Francisco, how they react to not having these checks there, what formations they're bringing, is the power formations they're still able to use, and how that can be counteracted by the Rams is going to be an intriguing chess match. It is going to be an intriguing chess match. And another intriguing chess match, when you flip sides, uh, you got Nick Bosa and DeForest Buckner against that Rams interior offensive line that has obviously really struggled in the wake of the retirement of John Sullivan and the departure of Roger Saffold uh, in free agency. What I believe Robert Sally, the 49ers defensive coordinator, is going to do a lot of is that he is going to stunt Nick Bosa inside and get him matched up on one of those guards al- along with Buckner on the center and the other guard to uh, frustrate Jared Goff because Jared Goff isn't necessarily the most fleet of foot quarterback and they want to get that interior pressure down. So moving, studying Bosa inside next to Buckner against those interior linemen, I think is going to be a key part of the plan for the 49ers in this game. Oh, definitely. That's, that's a great point there. You've got Nick Bosa, you've got D Ford, you've got, you know, so much speed and athleticism there on the outside. And like you said, you know, the, the Rams' strength of that offensive line is Whitworth and Havenstein on those edges. So if you're able to stunt and get your pass rushers going up against someone other than those two, you've got a big advantage there uh, in getting after the quarterback. And, and as you had alluded to as well, David, Jared Goff, when he breaks down is when that pressure gets close to him there. Uh, his first read isn't there, whatever that is. And he's out of his comfort zone. You really see the play start to drop off from Jared Goff. Totally. And if the Rams offensive line doesn't have an answer for Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, and company, I do not see them winning this game. And I actually do like the 49ers to make another statement in this game. I just think uh, the loss of those veteran interior offensive linemen has really uh, dropped Jared Goff's play quite a bit. And now he's facing arguably the best defensive line in football. And the 49ers are in 
excellent position to say to the Rams, what you've had the last two years is now ours, and I think they make that statement on Sunday. It's going to be close, but in the end, I like the 49ers and that defense to win a much more low-scoring game than people are predicting, 24-20. to Hmm, I like that prediction. Uh, I have it as a very, very close game as well. I think it's going to go down to the to the very end of the game as well. Um, I have the Rams pulling it out by field goal 30 to 27. Uh, I don't think the Rams thought they were going to be in a do or die situation in week six before this season started, but they're looking up not only at San Francisco, but Seattle as well. Um, this is a veteran team at home in a, what's as much win, as much of a must win game as you can have in October, early in October. This is it for the Rams. I think they're going to show up. I think the defense is going to show up and do just enough to pull out a 30-27 to win over San Francisco. It will be a close game, and I could definitely see that happening as well, Hal. And now let's move on to fantasy football, and we have a new game to play called Cut or Keep. In this one, I will mention a fantasy football name that was a hot commodity in August, but is pretty much... Uh, busted so far and you tell our audience whether you cut them or you keep them starting with baker mayfield cut or keep oh david i'm I'm telling you my my family league that i play fantasy football on is the scoring is heavily weighted quarterback so everybody's picking quarterbacks in the first round i wrote in and scooped up baker mayfield i was sitting pretty last week thinking I had an easy win going into Monday night and Baker Mayfield broke my heart. I, uh, I, I can't even talk right now, David, about how, this, how much pain I'm feeling thanks <laughs> to Baker Mayfield in fantasy football. Um, I, he's too talented to be in the cut position. He is going to bounce back this year. That offense is going to have some good games against, um, some of the weaker competition that awaits ahead of them. He might be more of, you might have to pay a little more attention to some of those matchups with the Browns, but I'm keeping Baker in the keep and crossing my fingers here for myself. Oh, I have a story to tell you. I just cut Baker Mayfield and picked up Jameis Winston. If you have other alternatives like that on your waiver wire, then Baker might, uh, be eligible to be cut, but in a league like Hal's, uh, where your bench isn't deep and where the quarterback options and waiver wire are not good, you have to keep Baker Mayfield because uh, a guy like Baker, a competitor like him, you have to expect him to bounce back and have some much better games uh, going forward. And let's go to running backs now. David Montgomery, cut or keep? Some people were talking about Offensive Rookie of the Year for this guy in August. Yeah, I think I was talking about him as <laughs> offensive rookie of the year in August. Um, there's just there's just there's too much potential there to give up on him right now. He's a you know rookie running backs. You have to take them as you know with a grain of salt. The Bears don't have a a lot of other options. I don't see Mike Davis riding in as the answer. For them, Tariq Cohen is never going to be an every down back. Um, if you've got David Montgomery, you've got to ride him out. He's a keep. 
Another rookie running back is Miles Sanders, and despite all of these flash, it appears to be the Jordan Howard show right now in Philadelphia. Cut or keep Miles Sanders? Yeah, there's one that I think you've got to go into the cut category there. Um, again, very talented running back, but he is just not going to get the opportunity without an injury to Jordan Howard. He has rested that uh, lead back position away. He's in no position to give that away at this point. Um, you know, four touchdowns to zero, averaging almost a yard per rush more. You're going to see Philadelphia lean more and more on Jordan Howard as the, the season goes on and Miles Sanders' touches are going to evaporate. Um, so definitely a cut there. This guy had an otherworldly performance in week one, and it appeared the door was wide open for him for several more weeks, but he has sorely disappointed since then, and it's only going to get worse because Tyree Kill is coming back likely in week seven. Sammy Watkins, cut or keep? Yeah, I I think he's a cut there as well. I think, you know, Sammy Watkins is the player who we thought he was. (laughs) Uh, to, to paraphrase Denny Green there, he is who we think we <laughs> was, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I see, um, you know, with Tyreek Hill, uh, Nicole Hardman should be getting a bigger role in that passing game as well. I mean, really think about lining up Hardman and Hill, one on each side of the field. Demarcus Robinson has been making the most of his opportunities as, as well. Heck, even Byron Pringle has been, taking advantage of his opportunities as that uh, fourth receiver with Sammy Watkins banged up. So Watkins, I, I, you know, he's eternally the four, four receptions for 48 yards. That's all he's been in his career. I don't see that changing here. I'm giving Watkins a cut. I would actually agree with you there. I am leaning toward dropping uh, either one of Sammy Watkins or Miles Sanders in this one league of mine for a backup tight end with Darren Waller on a buy And Speaking of tight ends, can you think of a more greater fantasy disappointment this season than O.J. Howard? Cut or keep O.J. Howard? Oh, no, no. Cut, cut, cut. I mean, perfect situation for him. Um, you know, he's, he's put up the stats in the past. It, it looked like he was on the verge of a breakout season, and he puts up a donut last week in a in a big big game against the Saints, where they could have made a huge statement coming off that win over the Rams. Um, I've seen enough of of OJ Howard there. I think you're going to see Cameron Brait taking a bigger role in the passing game going forward. Uh, I'd give OJ Howard a big cut and a kick in the rear to Mike Evans while I'm there in Tampa Bay as well. <laughs> but he kind of made a plea for his fancy order to keep him last night. Did you see how he caught that foul ball at the Rays game? <laughs> well, yeah, nice of him to show up on a day, not Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a good point. But Bruce Arians has been calling him out uh, to step up for a reason, and he hasn't responded. And Javis Winston does have a natural rapport uh, with Cameron Bright dating back longer uh, than his report with O.J. Howard. So uh, that is a good point. Uh, drop O.J. Howard and make Cameron Brait again on your fantasy football team. <laughs> so there you have it. And now staying with fantasy for a moment, we play our waiver wire game, Gem or Garbage, starting with Chase Edmonds, Cardinals running back, especially with uh, David Johnson's uncertainty for this week. Plus, Chase Edmonds has been getting his fair share of 
Carries. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in Arizona, you know, they've been looking for that replacement running back, David Johnson, with the, the injuries and just hasn't looked like the same player he was in the past. Um, I'm going to say it's a gem there. I This is a young team. They're building for the future. And um, sorry, David Johnson, I think they, they've given you the chance. You've been good at times, but haven't been as explosive. Um, I'd give Edmonds definitely a gem. You just mentioned this guy, Byron Pringle. Once the you, once the pop, the fun don't stop. Yeah, <laughs> you know I, you know I, I'm not quite sure he's at the gem level just because you know the opportunities are going to disappear as that wide receiving core gets healthier. But for the present. I, you know, for the next two or three weeks, he's a gem. Yeah, especially with the schedule against uh, two suspect pass defenses in Houston, Week Six, and Denver next Thursday in Week Seven. So, Byron Pringle, if you need a replacement for a couple weeks, uh, swap him off your waiver wire because once you pop, the fun don't stop, and Byron Pringle knows that too. <laughs> yeah, and this is another intriguing option for a team that's likely to have to throw the ball a lot. Odd and tape with A.J. Green still not back and John Ross on the shelf until December. You know, uh, I just, you know, I, I've been burnt so many times in fantasy, David, in the past drafting any Cincinnati wide receiver not named A.J. Green. And, and really the last couple of years, Green has been a bit of a burn. But I've just seen too many games where, you know, Andy Dalton follows up a, a, a big performance and then comes out and lays one of those, you know, 170 yards, three interceptions, performances, and those wide receivers are sitting there, uh, you know, with those two for 24 stat lines killing your fantasy team. So I you know, I think he's going to have a bigger role in the future. I, you know, um, John Ross injuries up and down. Tyler Boyd is, you know, just isn't made to carry that whole team. Tyler Eifert isn't the same player at tight end. He just doesn't have that impact. He's going to see the targets. Um, I, you know, it's just hard to call him a gem where you know that two for twenty four is lurking. He's more of a uh, roll the dice and hope it doesn't come up snake eyes if you are in a in a tight situation. Yes, and plus that Bagels offensive line that is one of the more atrocious offensive oh, lines I oh. have seen in recent years, and they constantly hold that offense back. So that's why Audite kind of leads more toward the garbage side than the gem side. And for tight ends, if you need a tight end this weekend for the foreseeable future, Gerald Everett, gem or garbage? Yeah, I, I'm a big Gerald Everett fan. I think he's a gem, and, um, you know, I've long been a Gerald, I'm going to say it, long been a Gerald Everett fan. I I like him. I think the impact he can have on the passing game, um, you know, I'm not quite sure why the Rams gave all that money to Tyler Higby in the offseason because I had Gerald Everett rated ahead of him, and I, I think he's more of an impact in the passing game especially in 2019, and seems to have a little better rapport with Goss as well. So definitely a gem right there. 
Plus, Sean McVay, when he drafted Gerald Everett, he envisioned him as the Jordan Reed of this Rams offense, and he's finally starting to play that role. And uh, plus, he is from the University of South Alabama. Go South Alabama Jaguars. I really love visiting the campus of South Alabama and Land People Stadium uh, these past couple years at the Senior Bowl. Can't wait to go down there again. That is a very good school that turns out some underrated football players. Gerald Everett is one of them. Gerald Everett is a waiver wire gem for all of you. And now let's move on to our game predictions for the West of these Week 6 matchups, starting with tonight's matchup, the New England Patriots hosting Steely Dan and that mash unit that is the New York Giants right now. Uh, Steely Dan, you weren't reeling in the years against the Vikings last Sunday. You're definitely not going to be reeling in the years against the best defense of the NFL of the New England Patriots this Thursday, especially when you're minus Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, and Evan Ingram. This is a walk in the park for the Patriots and a get-well game for their passing game, 35-10. to Yeah, not only Saquon Barkley, but they've ruled out Wayne Gallman, the backup running back Oh, my well. God. So, yeah, yeah it, it just gets worse and worse for the G-men here, so... So, yeah, and, you know, um, as as good as he looked the first couple games, these last two games have been a little bit of a welcome to the NFL for our man Steely Dan. So I don't think it's going to get any better against New England. I'm going to say look for that bounce back the next week against Arizona after he's had a week and a half to, to get his head back in shape. But, but the New England defense, I mean, I mean, talk about a no-fly zone right now. Nobody's passing the ball against this team. Should be an easy win. I have it 27-6, to New England over the Giants. At Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m. Eastern time in London, a divisional matchup in the NFC South. This should be an awesome game between the Red Hot Carolina Panthers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Christian McCaffrey, arguably he's third in the league MVP race along with Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and the Buccaneers looking to bounce back after that horrendous showing in New Orleans uh, last week. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they slow Chris McCaffrey down on Thursday night, and uh, you just can never say never, why not slow him down twice? But I kind of have a feeling this is going to be the shootout that we all expected that Thursday night matchup to be, especially uh, with uh, Kyle Allen now and instead of Cab Newton. Yes, it feels strange to say that, but uh, Cab Newton at not 100%. Kyle Allen is definitely a much better fit for the schematics of the Norv Turner offense. Uh, this game is going to be very close, and I'm going back and forth, and I might have a different prediction tomorrow than I do today, but I just cannot bet against those Carolina Panthers right now. They're just playing excellent football right now, and uh, not just Chris McCaffrey, Brian Burns is playing like Defensive Rookie of the Year yeah. for crying out loud, as you said last week. He and Nick Bosa are definitely the front runners. Uh, for for that honor, uh, Shaq Barrett had the best of it week in week two, but I think Brian Burns uh, has the better game this week, and the Carolina Panthers escape London with a hard fought thirty to twenty seven win over the Bucks. I love these breakfast games in London. I was so disappointed that the you know we had to wait an extra week for that. I wanted to watch that Bears Raiders game while I was eating my cornflakes in the morning, but um. <laughs> Strange things always happen in London, David. That's what I told you uh, with my upset special for the Raiders last week. Um, boy, yeah, I think this is going to be a close, interesting game. We're going to see the ball bouncing all over the field and doing strange things. I just keep coming back to what you said that, you know, Kyle Allen in that North Turner offense, um, I can't remember who I first saw this from uh, this week as well, but 
Last 12 games for Carolina, 0-8 with Cam Newton, 4-0 with Kyle Allen. We'll just keep riding that train. I've got Carolina 24-23 to over Tampa Bay. And speaking of uh, young quarterbacks that were drafted later undrafted, the Fu Manchu, after an amazing 374-yard performance, and, albeit a losing effort, Gardner Minshew, I think he's already supplanted Nick Foles. If Nick Foles comes back this year, do not bench the Fu Manchu, Jacksonville. I think he got a quarterback in the future. Don't you think so, Hal? I definitely, you know, week after week, he's so, you know, he's he's got that Joe Montana cool back there in the pocket. Nothing seems to rattle him on or off the field. I, I think you've got to ride that hot hand and, you know, sorry, Nick Foles, um, count the money that's in your bank right now, but enjoy the view from the sidelines when you get healthy. I, I'm overtaken by Minshew mania. Likewise, I think the Fu Minshew is the real deal down in Duval, but I think he might have a welcome to the NFL moment this week against the New Orleans Saints, where Teddy Bridgewater, after he played the best game of his career, and boy, that was a sight to see, Teddy Bridgewater, after that horrific, nearly career-ending knee injury, coming back and playing the way he did last Sunday, it just shows you that Teddy Bridgewater's ceiling is higher than you think it is, and he definitely is making his case so far uh, to be the Saints' uh, quarterback of the future after Drew Brees decides to hang up the cleats. But uh, this game, I think, I think this is going to be a lower-scoring game than what some are expecting. You've got two very good defenses, especially if Jalen Ramsey actually plays in this game, and there's a chance he does. He did practice today. Uh, not sure whether it was limited or full, but still, the fact that he practiced on Wednesday is a good sign for his availability uh, either this weekend or if not the following weekend. But this is going to be a, a, a defensive game, but the what really bothers me, the Jaguars just struggle against the run, and, and that's unacceptable for a, a front with Calais Campbell and Josh Allen and Marcel Darius and Yannick Ngakwe. But that Saints offensive line, I think, is going to take it to them again. And the running game with Alvin Kamara and even Latavius Murray, I think, is the difference in this game. And the Saints defense gets enough pressure on Gardner Minshew. Um, Minshew's not going to be rattled, but that pressure is going to disturb him just enough to prevent him from uh, winning this close, low-scoring game, 20-17 to Saints. Uh, yeah, I think I've got this one um, low scoring as well. I think it's, you know, you're going to see the defenses out there, um, you know, really putting a lot of pressure on those offenses, lower scoring. But I have Jacksonville winning, and I'll talk more about that in my bold prediction. Ooh, nothing would surprise me with the Fu Manchu, man. He just plays to win all the time, and this Sunday will be no different, even against one of the best rosters in the National Football League. The battle between the two outstanding young quarterbacks, potential future Hall of Famers, as Deshaun Watson, after his career game, and historical game, dare I say, against the Atlanta Falcons. By the way, the game was so historic, his cleats, from that game are now in Canton right now, and uh, that's a fact. Um, Deshaun Watson and the Texans traveling to Kansas City to take out Patrick Mahomes and the banged-up Chiefs looking to bounce back quickly after that butt-whooping they suffered at the hands of the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday night. Uh, It actually kind of depends on how healthy the Chiefs are headed in this game because not only is Patrick Mahomes unlikely to be 100% for this game with that ankle injury, um, 
Tyreek Hill, um, although Hill has a chance to play, it's much more realistic to expect him back in Week 7 as opposed to this Sunday, as according to David Chow, um, who is the best football injury expert on the planet. Follow him on Twitter, at ProFootballDuck, by the way. And uh, you got Chris Jones on that defense. If you thought that that defense uh, struggled badly against the run, they lost arguably their best player in Chris Jones for quite some time with a groin injury. So he's not going to be able to play. And if you don't get that pressure on Deshaun Watson, he'll, he'll eat you up at, at that suspect Chiefs defense up, man. Uh, I just, the, the health of the Chiefs is too iffy for me right now to pick them. I'm actually going to go the Texans in an upset over the Chiefs by a score of 31 to 28. David, I'm with you as well. I also have Houston updating Kansas City. I think for the Texans, this is if there was any week where they were going to have a chance to pull an upset, like you said, that banged-up Chiefs offense, banged-up Chiefs defense, this is the perfect time to see that. Um, I mean, let's face it, normal human beings can't cover DeAndre Hopkins and trying to see that Chiefs secondary, um, which has struggled mightily so far this year, trying to keep up with him and, and the performance Will Fuller had last week. You've still got Kenny Stills on that offense as well. Um, and then, you know. Will this, Fuller, this, this too. Don't is, forget him. Will Fuller was a monster last week. Oh, my God. Career game last week. So, you know, they can, he, I think Houston's going to be able to open it up in their passing game. I'm looking at a high-scoring game, but I've got Houston taking it at Arrowhead. 38 to 34. Ooh, that's even more high scoring than I had, but it wouldn't be a surprise given these two amazing young quarterbacks. And speaking of quarterbacks, MVP leader Russell Wilson takes the Seahawks on the road to Cleveland to take on the struggling Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. I wanted to pick the Browns for this, but I just don't trust Freddie Kitchens. I just don't. Like, how, how much trust would you put in a head coach where when the game is well lost, where he puts in your most dynamic offensive weapon, Odo Beckham Jr., back to field a punt, where the game's well out of hand. That was, how can you trust a coach like that? I just do not trust Freddie Kitchens right now. I just do not. And that Seahawks um, running game, I think, is going to be a, put a similar strain on that Browns defense. It's going to be a much closer game, but I have the Seahawks eking out a 23-20 victory in Cleveland on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, you know, you look at the, these games, and we've seen a lot of road teams um, winning uh, straight up here, not just covering the spread, but winning this season. As you know, and maybe that's more of travel isn't the headache that it used to be. There's a lot of stadiums that don't have the noise like other stadiums. However, they are aeronomically built. Whatever that is. Nobody travels like Seattle. No team logs the frequent flyer miles like the Seahawks, and there's nobody that's less afraid to go, come to the East Coast and put a whipping on um, some young upstarts with big mouths. And so I think this is a pretty easy Seattle win here this week. They'll run the ball, they'll control the clock, and Russell Wilson will do his thing, and a 27-17 to win in Cleveland. And the old Browns, as in the Baltimore Ravens, play host to the Cincinnati Bengals this week. I think this is a much-needed get-back-on-track game for Lamar Jackson and that offense. This game, I think, is going to be closer than many expect because of how the Ravens' defense is struggling and arguably even got worse due to the season-ending knee injury to uh, Tony Jefferson. 
But uh, the Ravens, I think, win this game 31-24. to Yeah, I've got it a little, little lower scoring than that as well. I feel the same way. It should be an easy win for Baltimore, but I think they'll struggle a little. Again, like we talked about, that defense is just not the same unit. And I've got Cincinnati keeping it close for a while, but Baltimore 23-16 to over the Bengals. Welcome to Toilet Bowl 2019 as the 0-5 Washington Redskins and new interim head coach Bill Callahan traveled to Miami to take on the fish tank. Uh, This is like a hold-your-nose game for me. Who do you pick? Who do you pick? Well, as bad as the Redskins are, the Dolphins are even worse. The Dolphins have completely gutted their roster. The Redskins actually have some talent on both sides of the football. Case Keaton, he is expected to play. I expect uh, them to use a lot of play action. Him to Terry McLaurin, uh, which uh, should be easy against this Dolphins defense. And that will be the difference in an ugly, relatively low-scoring game. Redskins 17, Dolphins 6. Yeah, low-scoring and ugly is how I see it as well. You know, I was looking at the game, and I said, I, flipping a coin. I mean, who's going to win this one? Washington should be ready to play for their new head coach. Miami's coming off a bye week. If there's any, you know, week that they're going to be ready to play, uh, this is it with two weeks to prepare. Um, you know, and then I thought about it, and I said, God, if this game went to overtime, could either of these teams score in 10 minutes? I'm going to call it a tie, 13-13. Whoa, we got another bold prediction there, Hal. A 13-13 tie between the Dolphins and Redskins. That actually would not surprise me one bit. The Philadelphia Eagles traveling to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. Kirk Cousins and company got their get-well game against that atrocious Giants pass defense, and that Eagles pass defense isn't that good either. I think this is going to be a pretty high-scoring game, but I believe the Vikings and that defense make the more decisive plays at the end. Vikings 28, Eagles 24. Yeah, I mean, this is two teams that you're kind of sitting there going, you know, you're not sure what you're going to get out of them each week. There's been a little bit of too too much inconsistency. Um, You know, I just looked at it as, you know, this is going to be a close one. Who do I trust with the ball at the end of the game? And I went to Philadelphia making a play to win it 27 to 24. Yeah, this game could easily go either way. And speaking of a game that could go either way, the Atlanta Falcons, who, dare I say, are at a crossroads right now, not just in their season, but as a franchise long-term, traveling to Arizona to take on Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury at that Cardinals offense, who had arguably their best showing of the season last Sunday. And I think the Cardinals offense has an even better showing this Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons at that dreadful dreadful defense. I think Kyler Murray and company outduel Matt Ryan in a shootout in the desert. Cardinals 31, Falcons 27. Yeah, I don't even have it that close. I've got Arizona winning 27 to 20 over Atlanta at home. Um, again, taking advantage of that dreadful Dan Quinn defense. Oh, oh. Uh, absolutely, and uh, if the Falcons lose this game, and given how harder their schedule gets, I think Dan Quinn, I wouldn't be surprised if he's fired by Monday, would you? I wouldn't be surprised either. They may just stretch him out to the bye week, but, you know, Rams and Seahawks the two weeks before the bye, I wouldn't want to dump that on a poor interim coach. Let Quinn take the, the beatings those two weeks. 
and then let uh, get a fresh week to start everything over. But yeah, if it's another 50 burger up there from Arizona, like it was from Houston last week, you may have no choice. Totally. And from the desert to the mile high, and I call this the inconsistency bowl, where those inconsistent Tennessee Titans who show us excellence one week and then completely suck the next week, travel to Denver to take on the Broncos who actually won a game. Shame on me for thinking they would go 0-16. Shame on me. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Broncos, for uh, bringing me that much-needed win uh, last Sunday. And the Broncos, they have been competitive at every game this season, and they... They should have a much better record than they have right now. But due to inconsistencies and roster depth and other issues, they happen to be 1-4. I think this is going to be an ugly low-scoring slog between both these teams. I, I don't think Marcus Mariota, I just don't trust him, even against a banged-up Broncos secondary and a, a depleted Broncos defense. I, I just You just can't trust Mariota because he could constantly makes poor decisions and his pocket pressure is just so bad. You just kind of see this as an ugly low-scoring game. I actually have the Titans winning 16-13. to How? Fight out in bowl predictions. Ooh, yeah, I've got a ugh, an ugly game as well, but I'm going to give it to the home team to pull out. I see Denver with a winning streak here, and they beat Tennessee 12-9. to Ooh, a field goal battle in the mile high. That's kind of yeah. similar. We are almost simpatico there. We just have All a different right. team winning. We're And find out in bowl predictions exactly how I have the Titans winning. The Dallas Cowboys travel to the Meadowlands to take on the Jets. Sam Donald is back, but Adam Gase, I just don't trust him to, him to put Donald in feral positions. And now Chris Herndon. It, who was supposed to come back this week from his suspension, he has a hamstring issue, and he is highly unlikely to play this Sunday. And the Dallas Cowboys get Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins back on that offensive line. That is the medicine they need to get back on track. Cowboys take it 30-17. to 17. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I see Dallas traveling to the Meadowlands and just uh, rushing the Jets 34-14. to 14. Uh, shame on CBS for making that the national game this Sunday. <laughs> they, they should have flexed uh, Niners and Rams to, to that slot for Nance and Romo. I feel very bad for Jim Nance and Tony Romo that they are likely calling a, a horrible game uh, this Sunday. And on Sunday night football, the reeling Chargers face the Steelers, and there is a chance Mason Rudolph could play. He did practice today. But I just, uh, after a hit like that, I just don't see them rushing Rudolph that quickly. Devlin Hodges will get the start for the Steelers still most likely against the Chargers on Sunday at that soccer stadium in Carson, California. I was looking at an upset special, and I think I'm going to go with the Steelers here because I really like the way their defense is playing. I That young back end is talented with Mika Fitzpatrick, who just bought in, and Devin Bush in that front with T.J. Watt and, and Cameron Hayward, Stephon Tewitt, Bud Dupree, and that Chargers dumpster fire and offensive line that just went from bad to worse as you allude to, Looney Mike Pouncey. I have the Pittsburgh Steelers winning this game 23-20. to I also am leaning on to Pittsburgh as well, and I have it almost the exact score. Pittsburgh 24, the Chargers 20. Um, I, I just don't trust that, that Chargers team. It's just falling apart on 
both sides of the ball. You saw Melvin Gordon come back, and they're feeding him the ball, and he's ineffective there, and that's taking carries away from Austin Eckler. They, you know, you're getting nothing out of the passing game other than Keenan Allen. That that whole offense is just out of sorts, and defensive side is banged up. It's just getting ugly for the Chargers right now. And uh, I don't care who's quarterbacking for Pittsburgh. This is one of those situations where you look at head coaching in the NFL matters and a strong, steady hand like Mike Tomlin is what's going to keep this Steelers team on track in this season that already looks lost, and they come up with a big Sunday night win. And last but not least, on Monday Night Football, an NFC North grudge match between the red-hot Detroit Lions and the red-hot Green Bay Packers. And who'd have thunk it? Matthew Stafford against Aaron Rodgers in a battle of two defenses? That's where we're at. That's where I see it as well, David. I am right with you on that one. This is going to be one of those ugly, classic, you know, I guess the NFC North, but, you know, Midwest mush and mud and yeah, get it nice and ugly here. Yeah, I see the game like this as well, although the Packers I still think are the better team and having Aaron Rodgers uh, and Aaron Rodgers, we haven't seen his best yet this season and it's going to be hard for him to take that step forward against an amazingly underrated Lions defense. But uh, I still think he makes more of the big plays to win a close, ugly, relatively low-scoring 21-18 game. I've got it even lower scoring than that. You know, when you've got a, a rocket scientist on the other side uh, planning the defense and you give them two weeks, even with Rodgers there, I see Detroit pulling out an ugly one, 16-13. And that would be a huge statement for Matt Patricia and the Lions if they are able to pull it off Monday night in Lambeau. And now for our bold predictions, I will go first. You remember the double doink in last year's NFC wildcard playoff game between the Chicago Bears and Philadelphia Eagles? Well, the architect of that double doink, Cody Parkey, is now kicking for the Tennessee Titans because of Cairo Santos's ugly, ugly, pug-fugly, dare I say, performance on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills where he missed four field goals. But Cody Parkey makes the game-winning kick for the Titans over the Broncos in overtime. And it is a field goal of 60 or more yards from Whoa. double doink to a game-winning 60 or more yard field goal for Cody Parkey. Redemption. What? That is a bold prediction indeed, David. Um, as I alluded to, <laughs> I hope it's a triple doink that goes through, too. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, my God. Please, please don't my heart. <laughs> that would break my heart, but you get it. <laughs> Okay, so my, my bold prediction goes to that New Orleans-Jacksonville game. I think it's going to be low scoring. Um, I'm looking at Jacksonville nursing the lead into the fourth quarter. Teddy Bridgewater drives New Orleans down the field with less than a minute to, to take a 21-20 to 20 lead. But look out, Gardner Minshew out of timeouts, gets Jacksonville into field goal range, and Kicker Joey Sly with the game-winning 50-plus yard field uh, goal. Joey Sly's on the Panthers. You mean Josh Lambeau. Oh, I meant Lambeau. I'm so sorry. <laughs> there. I was too excited there. Jeez. <laughs> Josh Lambeau with that. It doesn't matter who's kicking. When you got Minshew, that's going through. Going to win 23-21. to 21. 
That is an amazingly bold prediction as well, my friend. And last but not least, our challenge flag for this week. Why don't you go first, my friend? All right. You know me with my challenge flags. I like to grab these teams who are on a bye and challenge them while they've got time to, to sit and relax and reflect on these first few weeks of the season. So my challenge flag is going out to the Buffalo Bills. They beat the Titans last week, thanks in part to, you know, blocking a field goal and three more missed field goals. I personally do not believe in that Buffalo Bills offense and Josh Allen. So I'm challenging Leslie Frazier and his defense there to carry this Buffalo Bills team for the rest of the season. If you look at their schedule, Miami, Philadelphia, Washington, Cleveland, Miami again, Denver, Dallas, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. That's leading into a Week 16 game in December in New England. Oh, God, please, let's have a battle for the AFC East in December. I've spent 20 years. Let's have a meaningful game. Leslie Frazier, get your defense going and make that happen for me, please. Ooh, that is a very good challenge flag, Hal. And my challenge flag goes to the red-hot San Francisco 49ers. Make an even bigger statement on Sunday and shut the remaining doubters up. I believe in you. Just stay true to who you are on Sunday. Harass Jared Goff. Stunt Nick Bosa inside with, along with the Forrest Buckner to rattle Goff all game long and pound that rock constantly. Yes, you're going to have to throw the ball more than the Seahawks did last week, but stay true to who you are and keep powder that rock and play good defense. You'll be fine. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. And you can catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com or if you're a Patriots fan at MusketFire.com. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to preview week seven of this 100th NFL season and a lot more content as well. So stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at SportsCrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with AK. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome, folks. Stay awesome, folks.